know what that means? Everything. Anglo thieves. Gettle's gone. Oh my god, you people have just failed me. Failed me utterly. Congratulations, Scotland. We have just gone full That just explains so much of my childhood to me. Research purposes. It's super important. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Anglophies. It's episode 68. And if you're going, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold the fuck up. Wasn't the last one 66? Yes, it was. But well, we had some problems. <laughs> we had an episode 67, and it was a lovely, it was a really great episode, and we would love for you to be able to hear it. Alas, you cannot, because my recording software failed to record it. Half yes. of it. Kind of. But we exist in the in the timeline in which there was an episode 67. It just died. But we're not going to pretend that it didn't happen. Because it did. Just, you know, in our hearts. Yeah. And not your ears. Sorry. <laughs> I was so mad. So mad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was a good discussion, too. Anyway, hi, I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. Kaylee is busy uh, furthering her higher education, so she will not be joining us this month. But it's it's you know it's for a good cause. So keep writing, Kaylee. We love you. Well, that's okay. My cat's here to be uh, our third. If you guys can hear her, insisting that she's starving. Well, you are a monster who never feeds her. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you should see her she's she's gaunt she's practically not there all 15 pounds of her mm, well all that 15 pounds is just fluff covering a skeleton <laughs> she told me she would never lie to me would she no no she doesn't no. lie ever at all definitely not especially not when it comes to food mm-hmm. so we do have a topic, we promise. It's not just the two of us blabbering for, like, an hour. Yeah, although we could do that. Although, yeah, <laughs> we, we could totally do that. We could do it for more than an hour. We have. I have decided that our listeners do not know how interesting you are sufficiently. <laughs> and, and need to be informed of your general interestingness. Uh-huh. I thought we were specifically talking about the SCA. But, Okay. <laughs> So when we first became friends, uh, listeners, I had no idea what the SCA was, but I've gathered bits and pieces over the years, and I've decided to present them to you in a kind of interview form of where Raiden talks and I ask questions, prompting questions, uh-huh. and she fills the space. As I fill the space, as I am like frantically re-marking uh garment that I spent five hours working on last week and then I'm putting in dots so that I can put in pleats for this ridiculous smock of death that in which I'm pleating 220 to 240 inches into the neckline of one undergown and I put in dots every half inch 
I put in a lot of, I put in hundreds upon hundreds of dots for five hours last weekend. And it was so hot and humid that the iron on, or the marking pen that disappears when you wash the thing, all the dots vanished. Oh. Oh, no. No, yeah, no, it was real bad. It was real bad. So that is what I'm doing while we are talking. I figured it was appropriate. Yeah. I, I'll, send, I'll, I'll send you a picture for the show notes <laughs> of how this is going. I remember when my mom used to sew, she had like a bar of soap, a worn down bar of soap she used to mark things with. Yeah, that might have been better. I have, I am, I'm marking it every half inch. And for one, two, three, four, five inches down. So there are nine dots in a row vertically and then 220 inches worth horizontally. So even a bar of soap would not really have done this. So this is not just a long tangent about a dress. We promise the dress is pertinent to this. It's pertinent to the whole thing. (laughs) So let's start at the beginning. What is the SCA? The SCA is the Society for Creative Anachronism. It is a worldwide educational group that studies the Middle Ages and the Renaissance and does it in a experimental archaeology type of manner. So, like, you make the clothes, you make the food, you eat the food, you see what food... what If there is something that people were doing in the Middle Ages and Renaissance... And there is somebody in the SCA who does it. So we have fighting. The world is divided into uh, 20 kingdoms at this point. It started as a backyard party in 1966 in Berkeley with Marion Zimmer Bradley and a number of other people. Ouch. Yeah, well, you know. Well, what, what great society doesn't have a problematic founder? Exactly. I don't remember who was the one who came up with the name Society for Creative Anachronism, but it was essentially pulled out of somebody's butt in order to get a permit at a park for an event. And they were like, you need a name for your group. And she was like, um, it's Society for Creative Anachronism. And it stuck, as these things do. So we've been going on for 52 years now. And I've been involved for almost 21 of those years. Wow. It's a, it, it's a really big part of my life. Now, I have a follow-up question, but actually a slight tangent. You said Medieval Ages and the Renaissance, but your previous persona was Ancient Rome. Yes, there are outliers in all directions. Fair um, enough. Rome, Roman has become a super popular thing lately. I'm going to assume it's because I am a trendsetter. Fair assumption. (laughs) I guess it's generally if you have enough historical source data for food and dress, right? Then you can make it work. Yeah. There's a small hand. There's a handful of people who do ancient Greek, which is even further back than Roman. Uh You, You know, your timelines. Uh, and there are a handful, literally maybe less than five, who sort of dabble in Egyptian, which 
I am like, okay, I know that I pushed the envelope. I pushed the envelope for many years with the Roman thing, but uh, guys, this is ridiculous. So how you said you've been doing this for over 20 years. How did you become involved? Uh, it's because of AOL role-playing. Yeah, this is this is like a deep dive into old school nerdery. Hi, look, I <laughs> I did nerd confessions. My dive into the internet started in a Wheel of Time role playing chat like forum that yeah. migrated into IRC chat. Like, there's no judgment here. No, <laughs> I would expect no judgment because, like, I know what you do for fun. So, um, anyway, I. When when I was a, a wee baby nerd just discovering the internet, I discovered role-playing on AOL chat rooms. And there was a woman who I became friends with who was like, I do the FCA. And I was like, oh, that's I've heard of that. I, I've heard of that in sort of the nerd circles, the even babier, like the zygote nerd I was ran with in Minneapolis. And then I went to college, and there was a SCA group on campus, and she was like, great, you're joining. And I was like, don't I get a say in this? And she was like, ha, huh, that's cute. No. <laughs> and the rest is history, and we are still friends to this day. She lives in California. So before we go further into your history, I think maybe if we've piqued enough interest, let's give the listeners maybe a website they can go to, and maybe an overview of the kingdom, so maybe they know where in the world they are, where they'd go if they're interested. The main SCA webpage is sca.org. And you can generally get started there. Uh, the The Wikipedia entry for the SCA isn't, well, at least the last time I looked, was pretty good. So you can get an idea there. The bulk of the kingdoms are in the U.S., so I am in the East Kingdom, which goes from Delaware to the the top end of, of Labrador and Newfoundland. We don't have any people up there right now, but we do have people in Nova Scotia and Quebec and Montreal and Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, the western half of New York, the western half, no, no, the eastern half of New York. What are directions? The eastern <laughs> half of New York. <laughs> The eastern half of Pennsylvania, New Jersey. The West Kingdom is Northern California and includes San Francisco. So they're, they're considered the mother of all kingdoms because they were the first kingdom. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> no professional and, jealousy or anything. No, it, it is what it is. And then the rest of the U.S. sort of broke off into different kingdoms as groups appeared there or they got big enough like the east kingdom used to be like the whole eastern chunk of of the u.s and now there's multiple kingdoms that sort of break off um there's the middle kingdom that's in the middle <laughs> of the country <laughs> is, is that what they call the flyover states no actually the middle kingdom is now just the lower half of the lower port part of Michigan, Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio, and I think West Virginia. Um, it used to be like the whole part, and the 
the flyover states are now kingdoms that broke off of the middle. So when I was in Minnesota, I was it was still part of the Middle Kingdom at that point. It's now the Kingdom of North Shield. And that's the western half of Ontario. Ontario is really big, guys. Did you know? Mm. It's really big. Can, can I just say, like, North Shield is a much cooler name than the East Kingdom or the West Kingdom. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Brennan, he's the king of the East right now. He has started listening to us. Brennan, if you're listening to us, you know that I bleed black and gold, but I am an Easterner at heart. But North Shield is an awesome name. Sorry, Brennan. (laughs) Yes, he's the one who came up to me after he had listened to our Star Wars episode and was like, Jar Jar Bank? (laughs) That was the best thing ever. I love that. (laughs) To which I said, yeah, I ain't even ashamed. And he's like, I mean, I have I have some nerd confessions too, but I don't say them publicly. And I'm like, well, maybe you should. <laughs> That's what Lots podcasts are for. So what's Carolingia? You've mentioned that in your Facebook posts a few times. Carolingia is the local group that is the greater Boston area. If you look at a map of Massachusetts and you see that there is a, a couple of rings of, of highway that sort of circle around Boston, the main border between Carolingia and the group that is central Massachusetts is that outer 495 highway. More or less, it's not exact, but more or less, that's how big Carolingia is. And I am the Seneschal, which is the, in nonprofit terms, the, the local chapter president, which means I handle all of the administrative stuff. So this is a good segue because you already mentioned a king and you're the seneschals. Maybe mm-hmm. talk about some of the organizational hierarchy and the cool titles you all get to have. <laughs> well, you know, the kingdoms have a king and queen. And the the king and queen are chosen by combat. We have what's called a crown tournament. And that is a tournament with the heavy fighters there in the armor and instead of metal swords, they use rattan sticks. There's less death that way. It's always a good Le- goal. Less fun also, but okay, continue. Like, just because you're bloodthirsty. I mean, I'm bloodthirsty too. But, you know, we wouldn't have fighters if we kept killing them. Anyway, and they have a tournament to determine who will be the next king and queen. Or king and king, or queen and queen. As we just, in the past four years, three, four years, maybe five, in the past couple handful of years, the corporate overstructure said, yeah, you can, they, they long had said, you need to have people of opposite gender to fight and crown. And people were like, that's fucking ridiculous. How about we not? And they said, okay, fine. So there is currently, there's been one king and king pair. They were in North Shield. They were friends of mine. Um, and there's currently a king and king in Kaid, which is Southern California. So do they fight as couples? One person fights and the other person is the inspiration. Now, both of them can fight and be inspired by the other person, but generally it's one person fights and the other they're fighting for the honor of their 
the other person, which is often a romantic partner, but not always. Right. So essentially it could be just somebody you'd like to co-rule with. Yep. And since we already kind of mentioned fighting and I'm going to bring up the coolest thing you've ever told us about is you got to squire during a jousting tournament. This isn't all just food and (laughs) costumes. There's pretty horses. There's pretty horses. I've been involved with the East Kingdom equestrian community for uh, quite some time. I don't ride nearly as much as I would like to because I don't have a horse. I live in Boston. All of my money goes to rent. Horses are very expensive, but I'm friends with a lot of the horsey people and they let me help. And sometimes they let me ride. Uh, And a friend of mine at our at our 50, East Kingdom 50 year anniversaries we just had our 50th um year anniversary event last month um we had a joust we had four people jousting and they need to be you know in armor and they use foam or balsa wood tip lances so nobody gets hurt um it was so hot it was so hot It was like 100 degrees and super humid. Fortunately, the horse that I was with knows how to drink from a squeeze jug. Just squeeze it into his mouth and he'll drink it. As opposed to a lot of other horses that are like, what are you doing here? What is happening right now? And Brady's like, oh, thank God. (laughs) Oh, his name is Brady. His name is Brady. You can also, he will also drink from a hose. You know, like the the warble gorble dog. He does that (laughs) from a hose. Will it be alright if I embed the video? Because I know there was video on Facebook in the show notes. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. So there's the jousting tournament. Oh, I'm trying to figure out which next cool thing to ask about next. Well, okay. Let's talk about you first. So you are being invested with the title, honored with something. Something is Ele- happening. Elevate- there's <laughs> elevated to the peerage. Okay. Talk about that. <laughs> We, Kaylee and I don't know what it is, but we are very proud. <laughs> First of all, I just want to say <laughs> thank you. Um, so one of the one of the ranks that people have are peerages, which is a high level recognition for either your service, your achievement in the arts and sciences, in fighting, or in rapier combat. Um, so the rapier combat peerage is called the Masters of Defense. The the fighting, the plate heavy heavy fighting is the knights. The arts and sciences are laurels, and for service it's uh, pelican. And that comes from a a medieval kind of symbol of sacrifice of a pelican that pricks its own breast to feed its babies with the blood hmm. which is kind of a, a gory gothic <laughs> really kind of gothy image and hilariously when people are like oh look pelicans are so self-sacrificing shakespeare was like man pelican babies are the worst they eat their parents <laughs> 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 i got that from a friend of mine i didn't come up with that on my own but He's right. So I have been given notice that they are going to elevate me to the peerage in September. 
And, and, and when she says notice, there was calligraphy. There was calligraphy. It's currently at the frame store getting framed. But the the queen herself wrote the what's called a writ saying, hey, you've done this stuff. Please show up at this event and give us your answer on whether you're going to say yes and become a member of this peerage. Does that come with the extra responsibilities within the group? Uh, yes. I mean, it's it's sort of an outward symbol of you've been around a while. People think that your opinion matters, so, you know, watch your mouth. And people can go to you with questions and for help. And I could take on students if I wanted and sort of encourage them in their service and arts. Right, because you've told us before, there's a kind of apprenticeship. I know for knights, I think for fighters, there's a whole... There's a squire. Right. And for laurels, like, I'm currently apprenticed to laurels. And I'll be giving them back... The the outward symbol of the apprenticeship is a green belt. And I'll be giving them back my belt. um, Because I'll be entering into fealty with the king and queen. So you can't be an apprentice while already elevated to the peerage in another field? Um, some people do. I am choosing not to. I could if I wanted to, but... It's a lot because, of time. And, I mean, it's... It can it can be a lot of time, but as, as my Laurel said, you cannot be the servant of two masters. And if I'm in fealty to the crown, then I can't... I feel like it is inappropriate to be in fealty to my teachers. Which, I'm going to pause here, because I think this is one of those things where it may sound, I don't mean to sound denigrating, but a little silly to modern ears, but this is kind of like, you get out of it what you put into it, right? And the more, not necessarily historical accuracy, but like the more you imbue these things with meaning as you participate in the group, like the more you actually get out of it, other than I'm just going to show up and put on armor for a day. Yeah. And you can do that. If that's, if that's what you want, you can do that. You can, you can show up and look pretty and just hang out with your friends or you can, you can do way more. So when we say show up, structured events, small, big, like how, how does your, how does Carolingia do it, for example? I'm sure everybody has slightly different... We have not nearly as many events as we really should be running, but that's a different problem. We have at least a couple of events a year. Some of them are big. The The one we're having in September, our new Baron and Baroness are getting invested. So it's going to be it's going to be a big event. There's going to be a lot of people there. Is Baron and Baroness... Your version of King and Queen, or is that a, a, a step below, like it's a regional? A, it's a regional. It's a step below. So they hold Carolingia in trust from the crown. It, except that, yes, this is going to sound weird to modern ears. This is how we play the game. We're a barony, which means that we have figureheads who, like a historical baron and baroness, hold their lands because the crown allows them to. And the Seneschal is a separate position? Yeah, the Seneschal is the modern, it handles the the administrative part of the game. So, like, I'm the one who has to sign the contracts when we write, when we rent sites for an event. 
and handle like there's sort of the game side and the business side Mm -hmm. and I handle the business side. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm guessing maybe some chapters choose to have the same people do that. And sometimes it's easier to just have one person. So did your Baron and Baroness get chosen also by a trial by combat or no, for, for Baron and Baroness in the East kingdom, I think everywhere, but I'm not sure. It's chosen by, they're chosen by the king and queen, but we have an election that, so that the barony can say, yes, we want these people. So we had, when our current baron and baroness said, we're going to step down next year. We said, okay, whoever is interested in running, let us know. And we had an election. We had three couples running. And then based on the vote, the king and queen made a choice and they chose who won the vote, but they don't necessarily have to, they can look at it and go, Oh, we got a lot of notes from people saying that these people are toxic and would not be really good at running the barony. So maybe we can make another choice. (laughs) Group politics exist everywhere. Group politics exist everywhere. Um, I had, I ran the election for our new Baron and Baroness. And I'm very proud of the fact that near as I can tell, everybody who is speaking to each other at the beginning of the process is still speaking to each other at the end of the process, which is really all I can ask. <laughs> are, you, are you stepping down to Seneschal soon? I thought I saw you mention that. In March. Is it because of the peerage or just happened to? It happened to coincide. Okay. I need to step down next year anyway. I've been Seneschal for three years and change at this point, and I am tired. <laughs> I am tired. It's a lot of work, and I am tired. So I am holding on for six months after the new Baron and Baroness are invested, so that we have, so we're not switching both positions at the same time. Uh-huh. Which is just chaotic and rude and not great. Switching back to just your personal bit for a second, we've mentioned that your previous persona was ancient Roman, but we actually haven't talked about your new one. (laughs) Yeah, I changed about a year and a half ago to 1530s Sweden, partially because I've been doing Roman for 17 years at that point and just kind of got bored. I get bored sometimes. It happens. And I certainly at the time that I switched, I was like, hey, points of history that are chaotic and messy are are exciting to learn about. And then I started living in one. (laughs) Be careful what you wish for. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, But 1530s Sweden is... Gustav Vasa became king of Sweden in 1523, and that's the the point at which Sweden became its own independent country and not part of the Denmark-Norway-Scandinavian conglomerate. So if you're ever looking to break into a house in Stockholm and it has one of those keypads as a lock, try 1523 as the code. It'll get you into like half of them. I learned this on a canal tour in Stockholm. So I feel comfortable sharing this with everybody. 
And true story, the Airbnb that Amanda and I stayed in in Stockholm had three different doors that were keypads. And one of them was, in fact, 1523. Anyway, so... That's the point that Sweden became its its own country. And also Gustav Vasa was like, shit, running a country requires money. The Catholic Church has a lot of money. If I make us Lutheran, the Catholic Church can't get money from people. I would get that money. We're going to be Lutheran now. So, you know, chaos, upheaval. I mean, Not what better reason to reform an entire country's religion? I, you know, Henry VIII did not just do it just because he wanted to moan Anne Boleyn. I, I was <laughs> just about to say, you know, like everybody says Henry VIII wanted a divorce. He also wanted all those monies from all those monasteries he dissolved. Yeah, exactly. So the new persona has completely, I know you've spoken privately to us about them, completely new challenges from the Roman one in terms of sourcing dresses and foods and things like that. Anything you find particularly difficult, maybe more difficult than you thought it'd be? I did not realize that there was quite a hole in art history. There are very few portraits of women in that window Um, because... Again, building a new country requires money, so you didn't have money to pay artists. So there hasn't, there isn't much that. Um, what I have seen, I'm like, well, that looks pretty German. So I've been doing a lot of work with German Renaissance, early 16th century clothing. There just aren't a lot of sources in English. So I'm trying to find out like what an oath of fealty, a proper oath of fealty for my persona would be. And I'm not having a great deal of luck so far. And I I don't have to do one that is specific to my persona, but I want to. But I want to. Because I'm a nerd first and foremost. I've delved into some of these like online discussions after following your posts and links and it's interesting you know there'd be some like piece of embroidery that's falling apart in some museum and you'd see like the bunch of the you know, textile nerds would be like this is amazing we didn't know they did that pattern <laughs> yeah yeah no it, it can get pretty deep uh you've also been learning the harp has that been for the SCA? uh no that was just because i wanted to fair enough <laughs> I sort of was like, I I want to learn how to play the harp. And then a friend of mine was like, I have this harp that my now ex-husband gave me when we were still married. And they've been divorced for like 12 years. <laughs> uh, and I'm tired of it cluttering up my life. Do you want it? And I went, oh, um, sure. And... She gave it to me, and I got it tuned, because it hadn't been tuned in a while. And if you have a harp that has been sitting around for a while, you really should have it professionally tuned, especially if you don't know what you're doing. And then I, I've started I've started taking lessons in April. And as soon as we're done here, I should really do my practice for the day. <laughs> so you step out of Seneschal soon. Mm -hmm. What does your involvement 
with a group look like then? And I apologize for that pause, but my cat just made the entire desk shake. <laughs> Good kitty. As you can see, she's starved and weak and small. So, yeah. I haven't taken a nap. <laughs> I will play this the 16th century Swedish Sleeping Beauty yep. in all following um, events. I will I will find something. Um I I am not allowed to cook feasts anymore because I kept getting injured when I would do them. Like I've done 3. And the first one was fine. Nothing untoward happened. And the second one, the night before the event, I cut the tip of my finger off with a mandolin slicer. Uh-huh. So I spent five hours in the ER that night. Uh-huh. So that was good times. Uh-huh. And the week before the third one, I got hit by a car. So first of all, no wonder they're making you a pelican. You've already fed people I, with your blood. I've fed blood, yes. <laughs> So I got hit by a car while carrying groceries for the feast. I tried to. I tried to say that this had nothing to do with the feast. I was going to say, that seems like both of a stretch. Like, that car probably wasn't thinking, here goes an SCA member preparing a feast. I mean, the car wasn't, but, like, the universe was. Anyway, so my laurels and my then roommate and my mom all said, you can't do feasts anymore. And the rest of the barony has agreed. So I can help with feasts. I just can't be in charge of them. So tell us what a feast is, actually. You know, because obviously everybody knows what the word means, but the size of it, what goes into prep, let let us tell. It it depends. It depends. So an event, if you serve dinner, it's referred to as a feast. And sometimes it is a truly insane amount of food. Just like if you've watched the Supersizers Go or Lords and Ladles, the amount of food that you would get at one meal, assuming you were nobility, was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Uh, and there are very few vegetables often. So, especially if you're looking at Stuart portraits, Stuart era portraits, and going, oh my god, these guys look all super constipated. They were. <laughs> Trust me. Like the first feast I did was sort of it was kind of on the smaller side, and we had three courses, and I served rabbit and uh, some sort of chicken dish. I remember there was this was like ten years ago, more than ten years ago. This was many years ago. And I did it all out of a tiny apartment galley kitchen, which is, I need you to be impressed by that. Wow. Um, yeah, thank you. I did what's called red deer, which was steak that was marinated in port for a day and then wrapped in puff pastry and cooked and served. It's delicious, by the way. So it was kind of, it was a, on the small to medium size. The second one I did was buffet, and specifically it was dinner sized. So it was served during the intermission of a performance of Henry V that we put on. 
and yeah, I was on Tylenol with coding the actual event because, you know, there are a lot of nerves at the very end of your finger. I'm just telling you, there's a lot. There are several. And the last one I did was a Roman feast that was large and was larger than it needed to be because the week before the event I went or like two weeks before the event, I was like, oh, shit, what if there's not enough food? I better add roast beef to it. (laughs) I didn't need to do that. (laughs) So they can be very large. They can be very small. I always tried to make them period and like with, with actual period recipes and internally consistent. So they were all sort of from the same time and place. Some people don't. All right. So that was actually going to be my follow-up question. So they don't have to match your persona. Nope. And they don't technically all have to be... Like, you said you try for consistency, but not everybody does that? Yeah. Or, or you can have, like, I guess, potlucks. Somebody brings one... Yeah, I mean, potlucks are, are a whole different story. Well. But some people go for... Well, we'll be traveling to different places within different courses, or... Mm-hmm. They're just like, I want, I want to do this, and I want to do this, and I thought this would go well together. So what makes it an official SA feast as opposed to, I just invited some friends over for dinner? It's at an event. Okay. So even if you invite just the SCA friends, it's it's not... It's not an an official event, so... I mean, I could do, I could do a private thing if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. Hmm, that's an interesting idea. I have been doing cooking and managing food for other people's... So let's go back to this peerage thing. So what's going to happen in September when I get made a pelican is I will get to the event and I will be taken off to sit in a corner and think about what I have done. (laughs) Essentially. You've done a lot of things. That's a lot of thinking. I've done a lot of things. It's going to be a lot of thinking. So I'll be put into a small room that is going to be decorated in some manner that I don't know about yet. Because I've I've specifically asked that I need some things to be a surprise. And I trust the people who are doing it are going to do a good job. Um, So it's going to be decorated in some manner. And I will sit and people will come and talk to me and give me advice and offer their congratulations. And while people are waiting to come talk to me, there will be a spread of food. And I had said that I want my spread of food to be period food because not a lot of people, there are people who don't care that much about having period food for their vigil spreads. I do. And I know that the person who is doing the cooking is trying to keep it 16th century Scandinavian, which, (laughs) luck. (laughs) Have fun with that. So... I've been doing the food for other people's vigils, uh, which I've done without incident, so I can do that just fine. Thank you. So I know that there's a couple of people that I might be doing food for in the future. And that is, that's always a lot of fun, because you can be a little bit more experimental than when you're trying to feed 180 people. There's, <laughs> there's a limit to how, how adventurous some people are willing to be. And especially if being adventurous is going to be expensive, you need to kind of limit that. Plus, you just have modern day 
food sensitivities and just people knowing what allergies are and things like that, right? So yeah, yeah. Like I did, I did vigil food for a friend of mine who has celiac disease, so no gluten, does not like things that are cooked with alcohol, and can't eat onions or black pepper or garlic and a few other things. And fortunately, she she also got a writ, so she knew that this that she was going to be elevated to the pelican. And I was like, I'm doing the food for you, and I'm going to make sure that there is nothing on this table that you can't eat. And she was like, oh, you don't need to do that. It, nobody has, should have to deal with my food sensitivities. And I was like, woman, this is your day. But also, I know you. You love a challenge, a food challenge. It's true. It's true. So I spent about a month sort of going through possibilities and then I would occasionally hop on IM and just shout an ingredient at her and she would say yes or no. <laughs> like, what about dates? Can you do dates? Yes. Okay. And I put together something that had all period food. It was not internally consistent because there was so many limitations I was working with. But what I wanted was this was at the end of August. So I wanted something that would be good for a hot day. So there was a lot of pickles. Uh, there was cold meats with sauces. And uh, cheese, the cheese kind of melted a little bit. But it was good cheese. So, yeah. So that's what we did. And I had somebody make gluten-free bread. Um, and we made sure that everything she ate there was some stuff she could eat. So she didn't need to worry about it. Have you ever made your own cheese? I have. Yeah. I have... Making your own cheese can be difficult. I did a fresh cheese, which is just lemon juice. You know, heat up the milk, add lemon juice. Acid makes the milk curdle. Squeeze out the whey. Boom, cheese. I have used rennet before. I haven't tried to make an aged cheese because I don't have something that can be used as a cheese cave to safely age it. But I do have a 14th century cheese mold which is adorable and I love it. So there's something I wanted to, because you are, you know, you obviously you sew your own garments, you make all this food, but let's say we have a listener who thinks this sounds really interesting, but I'm just not sure what skills I have that I could put to use. Can they still join, you know, what advice do you have? How accessible is it to people who, who love the idea of this history, but maybe are intimidated by the skill set? That is a totally legit feeling. I validate your feelings. But we we love newcomers. Uh, most groups and most events will have a what's called gold key, which is loaner garb. So you can show up and borrow some garb. So you can come to an event without investing any of your time or money and see if this is something you are interested in. There are people who will help you make garb. There are people, you can buy it, you can even buy good stuff, or you can spend a lot less money and buy less good stuff. <laughs> I imagine you can even barter, right? Like, I can make weapons, and you can make... And you can make me a thing. thing. Yeah. Yes. Oh, totally. I mean, my advice would be to just show up to an event. So, Some of the bigger ones can give you more of an idea of what your options are 
than a small focused event. But like, if you're interested in doing calligraphy, we have a place for you. If you are good at painting, we have a place for you. If you want to try your hand at woodworking, whether you're using modern tools or you want to learn about period ones, we have a place for you. We have a place for everything. Some of the larger summer events are camping events. You are not required to have a canvas period pavilion. I have one that has been out on loan for like four years at this point. And even when I, the handful of times that I've camped in the couple of years, the past couple of years, I camped in my family's old nylon tent, which got an honorable retirement a couple of weeks ago. It was like 25 years old. We got our money's worth, but I just kind of like, if there is any actual weather, I'm just sort of concerned that this fabric is not going to hold up. But 25 years, multiple states, many camping trips. It deserved an honorable retirement. When I took it down for the last time, people in my camp, we said nice words about it, sang taps. The SCA can be very silly. Very silly. It's great. Also kind of curious about one thing. So you've mentioned that you try to stick to medieval and renaissance, but people branch out. Mm -hmm. Ancient Rome, ancient Greece, ancient Egypt. Let's say you have a newcomer who says, I can stick to, you know, the 12th to 16th century, but I want to, but I want to be, you know, I'm visiting merchant from China. Mm -hmm. Yep. We have some of those too. So it doesn't have to be European is essentially that was the point of my question. <laughs> yeah, it does not have to be European. We have a number of people who have Indian personas that there are a number of people who play Indian personas in the summer, especially as it's gotten hotter. But climate change isn't real. Chinese, Japanese, there is one guy who is a knight from the Middle Kingdom, who has an Aztec persona. He's specifically an Aztec who was brought back by the Spanish conquistadors. Um, but he's an Aztec persona. He fights in the jaguar skin. Not, not real. It's not real. No real jaguars were harmed. But he has uh, jaguar skin covering his armor. There's a small but growing group of people who are exploring Africa. So while the focus is European, Middle Ages, and Renaissance, there are outliers on all points of the axis. Axes? Ax there are outliers everywhere. <laughs> How important is it to the group that a person make real effort to research their authenticity. If you had a person who, you know, ha had a persona from a period of history that's a little harder to research, maybe particularly if it, a lot of it's not in English, and it turns out that they just kind of made up, mm -hmm. uh, lied about sources or just didn't or bother researching the language, would that be some somewhat of a no-no? How would that get handled? Well, okay. There are a couple of layers to that question. If you just kind of want to show up and go, yeah, I'm English-ish. I have this garb that does, all that's required is an attempt at pre-17th century garb. Uh -huh. That is the requirement. So occasionally there's stuff that you're like, 
oh, you got that from Gladiator, or you got that from Lord of the Rings. That is Eowyn's dying dress. Cool. Like, whatever. That's fine. If you are presenting research, if you're going, if you're like entering an arts and sciences competition and people find out that you made up your sources, that's a big problem. Because plagiarism ain't cool. Making shit up ain't cool. Saying, well, I saw this here. I don't know how it was made, so this is my best attempt. That's fine, as long as you're being transparent and honest. But saying, I saw this thing, and I made it according to these instructions that I found that are not in English, so you can't read them. Ha ha ha. If you get found out, it's it's not going to go great for you. Does that ever happen? Um, Come on, give me some old drama. <laughs> it's not that old. <laughs> it's happened. Or variations on this have happened. Uh, there's... I heard of, of someone who entered something in a ANS competition that... Uh, people found on Etsy, not made by him. Oof. Yeah, that's not cool. Don't do that. Uh, all right, so I think I've exhausted my specific question. Is there anything I didn't know to ask that you think would be interesting to add? I, if anybody is, is interested in looking into the SCA more and thinks... Oh my god, this looks super, super intimidating. Yeah, that's that's a legit feeling. But there are people who are designed to help newcomers. That's their job. They're called the Chatelaine, and each group has one. And each kingdom has one. And if you have any more specific questions, you can find me on the Twitters. And I'll be happy to point you to the right person to answer your question. And of course, I'll link to the sca.org, maybe in the Wikipedia, any other articles or pages that Raiden will tell me are helpful in our show notes for this. Mm. This is just a really super cool thing you do. I'm always so <laughs> impressed when you talk about it. And then you're kind of impressive in general what with the, the foods and the dresses and the... <laughs> But it's yeah. just, you know, when you have a friend who comes home and, and said, guess what I did this weekend? I squired at a joust and I got to work with a, with a horse and just, that's just really cool. Not a lot <laughs> of people get to say that. No, it's true. And it's, it's definitely been a net positive in my life. Um, I don't know if I would have moved to Boston if I hadn't been part of the SCA because it meant that I had a ready-made social group mm -hmm. that I could get like, like, do I like everybody? God, no, of course not. There's hundreds of people in this group and I can be kind of prickly, but it meant that there was already social activities I could go to and a way to actually meet people where we already had a common interest. And that was really nice and made the whole moving thing much easier to to jump into. I, I guess one small follow-up question. When you do move kingdoms, is there any kind of cool hair? I am a visitor from a neighboring kingdom process you can do? Or do you just kind of show up? Is there a registration of members? There is 
you become a you can become a member of the SCA, but it's it's a corporate thing, and it really has nothing to do with the kingdoms. In Carolingia, in Boston, we used to have a lot of college students, and at the end of the academic year, if they were leaving Boston, the Baron would give them basically a letter of recommendation to wherever they were going to go. Ah. And our college groups kind of died as nerd activities on college campuses became more varied. So people had more choices. So that has kind of died off. But it was, it was a very neat tradition. When a king and queen visits another kingdom, can that be like a whole big thing? Oh, that becomes a whole big thing. Yeah. Like right now, literally right now, Penzik War is just starting up. Penzik is the largest SCA event in the world. And it's a two-week-long war in western Pennsylvania, just about an hour north of Pittsburgh. And many of the kings and queens of the known world will be there. Probably not all of them. Because it's a, it's a long flight from Australia. But they will all gather together at opening ceremonies and decide who's going to fight on which kingdom side because the war is between the east and the middle and they gather allies and then they fight for a week. So is this a reenactment of a historical war or is this a no. tradition within the kingdom? It's a, it's oh, a sorry within within, within the, the group. Within the group. Um since we don't we don't reenact anything specific. Hmm. So why these two kingdoms? What happened there? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's the traditional story, which is a man named Karayadoc was king of the middle and was like, I'm bored. I <laughs> think that we should fight a war with the East. And he sent a letter to the East and nothing happened. And a couple years later, he went, he moved to the East and then became king of the East and found the letter and was like, Ha! Ah, the king of the middle has declared war on me. It was me. I accept. Ha ha ha. That didn't happen. Oh my god. Can I just say, I'm bored, let's start a war, is the most authentically historical thing. Yeah, pretty much. And this is this is the 47th Penzik War. So it's been going on a while. Well, people just got together and was like, hey, we should have a war. Loser gets Pittsburgh. And that's how that happened. And it just sort of stuck and it grew and it grew and it grew. It's, it's, it was a weekend event and now it's two weeks. And I'm guessing in the end there's like kind of an MVP fighter type award and all sorts of things happen. Feasts. At least one feast. No, there's no feast. I mean, there's no official feast for the entire event because it's 12,000 people. You, you just, you can't do that. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> but the East is hosting a state dinner this year at, at our royal encampment, which will be all of the kings and queens that are there. So that's... So, yeah, I mean, Pen Penzik is a lot of fun. I mean, it's a lot. Uh, most people only go for one week. <clears throat> but there are people who are there right now setting up. It just started yesterday. Are you going to go? No, not this year. I wanted to, but it does cost money. And have you been a few times? 
I've been in a couple, one, two, three, four, I think I've been six times. Okay. The last time I went was 2009. And it's fun. It's a lot of fun. But it is, it's a lot. And I keep wandering off to Europe. <laughs> which takes my travel money. I'm not wandering off to Europe this year. I was like, I'm going to go to Benzik. I really can't afford it. <laughs> That's okay. Europe is coming to us soon. Ugh, Europe is coming to you. Well, that's fair. At least the same continent as you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Alright. So this has been the SCA. Raiden's Secret Double Life. <laughs> <laughs> Kinda, yeah. I think it's fascinating. I hope the listeners enjoyed it. Uh, obviously, our contact information, as Raiden said, is on angle fees and you can tweet at her questions and we'll post all the links so yeah we hope everybody found this entertaining and we will most likely see you guys back next month we're, we're still in the schedule the episode 67 just got eaten we promise yeah yeah this has been episode 16 i don't know I, there's just there's a lot of dots alina <laughs> all right go to your dots and also your harp yeah right <laughs> And everybody else, stay cool. It's probably super hot where you are. Yep. Because it's super hot everywhere. Some of us have ACs that are broken in the entire building. That's fun. That is fun. Hmm. All right. I'm going to go feed my cat before she eats me. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Anglofees, a made-to-fail production. You can reach us on Twitter at Anglofees. You can send an email to anglofees at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes to help other people find the show. Thank you. Hello, and everybody... Uh, 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 What are words? What are words? I don't know what words are.